0: This is DC Beat, episode one, May 18th, 2017, net neutrality and your business. This episode of DC Beat is brought to you by the TIA Connectivity Jam, where you'll hear diverse perspectives from experts debating, discussing, and resolving practical steps towards solving the industry's toughest challenges. June 5th through the 7th in Dallas. Go to tiaconnectivityjam.org for info.
1: Welcome to DC Beat, the policy podcast series where we'll discuss the critical policy issues of the ICT industry. I'm your host this week, Cinnamon Rogers, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs here at TIA. This is episode one of the series. To subscribe to the podcast, search for DC Beat in iTunes or your favorite podcast app, or go to tiaonline.org podcast. Welcome, everyone. Well, last week, the FCC voted on a hotly debated item, the Restoring Internet Freedom Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, which addresses the future of net neutrality rules. For those who don't follow this issue on a daily basis, like those of us here in D.C., broadly speaking, net neutrality refers to the principle that broadband providers should treat all internet traffic the same. Since the advent of high-speed internet service, concerns over ISPs blocking, throttling, or creating so-called fast lanes for internet traffic has led to years of discussion over how to protect consumers while also spurring investment and innovation in the network. For well over a decade, the FCC, Congress, and the courts have been engaged in determining how to achieve these dual goals, and we could spend literally our whole time here today just talking about this complicated history, but let's not. Let's fast forward to 2015, during the previous administration when the FCC took a dramatic step and reclassified broadband as a common carrier service under Title II of the Communications Act of 1934, subjecting it to utility-style regulation. What Chairman Pai did last week was propose rolling back Title II reclassification, move instead to a light regulatory regime under Title I of the Act. TIA strongly supports this latest effort, which impacts the investment decisions of ISPs, and likewise, the supply chain TIA represents, the companies that build these networks, again, from Silicon Valley innovators to Midwestern manufacturers. So with that background out of the way, I'm pleased to be joined today by Jeff Campbell, who leads government affairs activities for Cisco in the Americas, Jared Carlson, Vice President, Government Affairs and Public Policy at Ericsson, and Kathleen Abernathy, who recently rejoined the Wilkinson, Barker, and Nower law firm here in D.C., and is a former FCC commissioner as well as a former senior executive at Frontier Communications. Thanks so much to all of you for being here today and to give us your thoughts and perspectives on the adoption of this proposal. So let me start with you, Jeff. You've been involved in this debate since the beginning. What impact have you seen in the market, and how have consumers reacted since the 2015 open Internet order was adopted?
2: Well, I think the 2015 order was one of the more significant moments in here because we started imposing common carrier regulation on the Internet for the first time, Uh, in order to supposedly provide for more net neutrality. And the challenge in that is it places a lot of regulatory burdens on the ISPs that are actually building, providing the networks, investing in these networks. And so what we've seen them do is think much longer and harder about investments that they're going to make Uh, They have been less willing uh, to look at uh, innovative new services or to use new technology that might rely on some form of traffic management or prioritization of traffic uh, on the Internet in order to enable that new service that might even potentially create a new revenue stream for them. Um, But but because of these uh, these new rules, they've been very reluctant to move forward in that fashion. And I think it's had a very significant impact uh, on the on the carrier marketplace in the consumer space. I don't think things have changed all that much Um, before these rules uh, were put in place under Title II. Uh, We had a very free and open internet, as it had been since the beginning of the internet. And we continue to have a free and open internet. And I'm sure that when the FCC is done with this process, we will also still have an open and free
0: internet. Jared? Yeah, thanks. Um, You know, I think that what we've seen over the last few years is a real flattening of investment, unfortunately. And part of the reasons are what Jeff gave, um, which are just an unwillingness to to take some chances and you know invest in the kind of network infrastructure advances that you would want to see uh, because of this overhang, for lack of a better term, of Title II and this fear that if you spend a bunch of money today that three, five years down the road or whatever it is, you might find yourself having to rip something out because at that point the FCC or some concerned citizen who's filed a complaint has determined that what you've done violates a net neutrality rule. Um, so I think that's been, from our, our perspective at Ericsson, probably the most uh, significant downside, downside to it. And I'll give an example of, you know, true story, uh, what happened to me at Ericsson having a conversation with an engineer in Stockholm. Who said that the way he read net neutrality rules, they couldn't roll out voice over LTE, which is what it sounds like. It's offering voice without using circuit switch the circuit switch networks, it's using LTE. He said that prioritized some data over others. And I assured him that it was okay. And we walked through it, it took about an hour in that meeting. And afterwards, you know, while it was positive, I thought, how many engineers are there around the world having to worry about rules when they should be out rolling out voice over LTE rather than having these conversations?
1: Well, and just to follow up on that, Jeff and Jared, you both represent large players um, in the ICT industry. For those listening in today that are at smaller companies uh, on supply chain ecosystem, can you speak to how these rules may have been impacting them um, for the last two years? Also curious, you know, how wireless ISPs Um, have been impacted and will be impacted um, after uh, PI's actions um, are adopted later this summer?
2: Well, I think it impacts the entire ecosystem that's dependent upon the internet and internet infrastructure companies that provide services. And so that's the, the whole supply chain from large companies like Cisco and Ericsson, um, to the smallest company that is a supplier to any of these these services, uh, what we're finding is a reluctance to spend uh, uh, on capex uh, in these companies. We also have restrictions on what new services they might be able to offer that might be able to create new and innovative revenue streams, revenues that could support a more robust intelligent network uh, that would be uh, that would be constructed using all of the products and services provided by Uh, by all the TIA membership uh, from the smallest company to to the largest company.
0: So let me take the wireless piece of your question, Cinnamon. Um, Bear in mind that up until 2015, net neutrality rules had only applied to wireless broadband in the very slightest of ways. You know, in theory, operators could have slowed down traffic, could have engaged in paid prioritization, could have even blocked traffic. The only restriction that they had was against was discriminating against competitive voice and video telephony apps. Essentially, you couldn't block Skype, but did they? You didn't have any evidence of that. I mean, there was no problem to solve, and then all of a sudden, in 2015, we had this whole body of laws applied to the wireless industry, and you know, and like I said, that's when we've seen a basic uh, flattening of investment. Um, and I go back to you know asking. If you look at where all this investment had been, and a lot of it was in the wireless industry, 2G to 3G to 4G, all that was done with almost no net neutrality rules. And one would hope that the FCC, and I think Chairman Pai, has seen that and has realized the lesson to be learned here is perhaps title II is not the right regime to uh, inflict on on the industry um, as a whole, and wireless in particular.
3: Well, it's interesting at Frontier we've been saddled with Title II regulation forever, despite all of the dramatic changes. And so when the order came out that imposed all these burdens on wireless, we were kind of scratching our heads saying, really, you want them subjected to the burdens that no longer even make sense to us, and now you're throwing wireless, which has always been an incredibly competitive business, into the briar patch with us, it makes no sense.
1: Well, Kathleen, Historically, telecommunications policy in Washington was less partisan. Uh, it was more about different segments of the industry battling it out, whether it was you know the classic battles between cable and broadcasters. Um, but clearly, this issue has become highly politicized. As a commissioner during a time when this issue uh, was debated, was Title I and a light touch regulatory approach as partisan an issue? It really wasn't. In fact, back then, the
3: real question was should we be doing any kind of regulation to the internet given that there's nothing in the statutory authority that directly refers to the internet it was thriving it was changing lives it was creating educational opportunities healthcare applications and so everything was going along at a at a very good pace but then it based on the need to ensure that the marketplace would thrive and that ideas could thrive subject to ensuring consumers were protected, Title I became the base. The information services bucket became the base to the extent you needed any regulation. And the question we asked ourselves then, both Republicans and Democrats, was, is there something broken? Is there a problem? that requires regulatory intervention because regulatory intervention will distort incentives to invest and distort the nature of this beast, this internet beast, and we don't wanna do that.
1: Well, since we're on the topic of um, bipartisanship, um, clearly, uh, you know, we need a path forward now for Republicans and Democrats to work together. Um, any ideas as to how we might achieve that, either at the FCC or on Capitol Hill?
2: Well, I think at the FCC, we've just begun a process uh, with the NPRM coming forward to analyze uh, whether the change the title to Title II uh, made sense or not, and and hopefully to... Uh, undo that decision that did not make sense, but also to look at the scope of the rules and to what extent we need uh, what we need to do to actually protect consumers in the marketplace and what would merely be regulation that would impede investment and in innovation in the networks. On the congressional side, I think we, you know we need to see if we can get legislators to approach it in the same way, focusing on what will develop new technology, what will allow. Uh, the United States to have the best, uh, fastest, and most innovative internet infrastructure, both on the network side, but also on the application side, um, and and to, to come forward with, with a structure that will support investment in all aspects of this ecosystem, where we all depend upon each other.
3: I believe the commissioners are asking the right questions, because what they're saying is, let's focus on anti-competitive behavior. Do we need rules? to deal with potential or real anti-competitive behavior, or not, or are there other rules already out there? Do we need to start dictating business frameworks, engineering decisions, and tying them up in a regulatory morass that yields no benefit? So you, they're starting to ask the very real issues of what's the benefit of regulation. Regulation makes sense where markets fail, or public policy agendas uh, need to be furthered in connection with, let's say, uh, broadband to rural America. But apart from that, when you start micromanaging the sector, you're distorting incentives, you're probably inadvertently favoring one sector of the economy over another, and you're not delivering any benefits to consumers.
0: And so I hope what we'll get from the FCC, and I have every confidence in Chairman Pai, um, he's made his intentions known that he is going to collect a lot of data here. And so his decision will be a very reasoned one. He's already um, reached out to um, TI member companies, I know, to you know request specific information about what has happened in the investment climate. Um, and so I think that – I hope that there will be a bipartisan path forward at the FCC. It's probably wishful thinking. But uh, I think that the parties really are somewhat closer than they think. And I, I – on Capitol Hill, again, I do think that there's a path forward for Republicans and Democrats to come up with a framework that promotes innovation and investment and recognizes that we don't have all the answers today, that the internet won't look the same in five years or 10 years. And so bear in mind when you're trying to craft legislation that we don't have all the answers. And so flexibility is a good thing.
1: Right. And so when we're talking about Capitol Hill, Republican leaders clearly would like to reach some sort of compromise. You know, Democratic leaders at present have been more resistant and, you know, Pallone and, uh, and Nelson, leaders of the Commerce Committees, have made statements that now is not the right time to legislate. If we can get to that point where uh, the parties can come together, uh, what would your priorities be in any legislative solution? Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you.
2: Well, if, if we get to, to legislation, it's important that we get to good legislation, uh, not just any legislation. And so I think we should start by reverting back to, uh, to either uh, sending Internet access back to being a Title I service or create its own category of service where it's very lightly regulated, uh, where we are only addressing issues of, of consumer harm and, and harm to competition, rather than um, uh, making a long laundry list of things that you may not do. Uh, the truth of the matter is is that there's a lot of technology out there uh, that can provide enormous benefits. The same ben- uh, technology uh, that would enable things like telemedicine, uh, remote surgery and things like that, that requires significant prioritization of traffic and high quality of service connectivity, um, uh, which which is a wonderful thing and, and totally beneficial to people could also be used for anti-competitive reasons And so it's the behavior that we should be focused upon in dealing with and not the technology So banning technology I think should be a, should be a, a not anywhere in this legislation Rather we should just make sure that we have a normal functioning market here And as long as we do that consumers are going to
0: be very well served Yeah um, recognize that competition is, you know, quite often the best way to ensure that we get the results that we want. Um, we've seen in the wireless market because of uh, this insane level of competition that there haven't been any examples of, of people violating what we would consider to be kind of basic net neutrality tenets, no blocking of traffic, no throttling of traffic. Um, and, you know, so the, I think that the path that Jeff laid out is, is – a fairly logical one. You know, we recognize that there are harms that we want to protect consumers against, and we also recognize... Maybe it's not too much to say it's a consensus, but I think there's a recognition that you can get there without Title II, um, especially in Congress, where you can say whatever you want and say th- these are the rules of the road going forward. Protect consumers, allow innovation, recognize that the Internet of today is not going to be the Internet of tomorrow. And unless there's a problem that needs solving, let the market act as, as it will.
3: And I think the other thing I would do is leave a lot of discretion to the agency to address problems if and when they arise. This creation of regulatory frameworks before you even know what you're regulating is a recipe for disaster, because you'll probably get it wrong. They'll have to fix it later. It will distort markets, favor some companies over others, and that's never good for consumers. So a very light touch with a recognition that uh, I believe that it really is an interstate business and market, and you don't want 50 state rules and regs surrounding it so you really do want it left in federal hands
1: well that sounds like a really good place to close out the discussion um, I'd like to thank my guests today Jeff Campbell from Cisco Jared Carlson from Ericsson, and Kathleen Abernathy with Wilkinson Barker and Nauer thank you again so much for being with us today thank you so much thank you Thanks to everyone for listening today. For more than 90 years, TIA has been at the intersection of access and influence. As a nonprofit organization, TIA works to interpret, inform, consult, and advocate on behalf of our members, engaging regularly with key policymakers and influencers and providing timely intelligence on important legislative and regulatory issues impacting your business. For more information on how to get involved and the benefits of membership, go to TIAonline.org work.